On today's episode, Mark's Run Smarter success story. Welcome to the podcast, helping you train, rehab, and run smarter. When I first started running in my 20s, I knew it would be something I'd be passionate about for the rest of my life. But unfortunately, developing injury after injury disrupted my progress and left me undertrained at the start line on race day. Even with my knowledge as a physio, I still fell victim to the vicious injury cycle and when searching for answers, struggled to decipher between common running myths and evidence-based guidance. That's what this podcast is here to help you with. So join me as a Run Smarter Scholar and let's break the injury cycle by raising your running IQ and achieving running feats you never thought possible. Welcome back, Run Smarter Scholars, and Merry Christmas for all those who celebrate. Um, Today we have a success story. It was actually released on my second podcast, the Overcoming PhD podcast, and Mark was also the one who introduced me to Dan King, uh, who you might have heard a couple of episodes back. Um, I've been working with Mark, or I had worked with Mark in the past, trying to overcome his PhD and his success, failures, lessons learned is, uh, there's a lot and there's plenty of value in here. No matter if you are injured, aren't injured, want to reduce your risk of injuries. Um, Mark had some initial success and then a couple of (laughs) failings and, um, setbacks, even when we started working together for the first couple of weeks, um, which he explains. And I just know you're going to come away from this episode training just a little bit smarter and recovering from your injuries just a little bit differently because of the um, successes and setbacks that Mark shares. So you're going to really enjoy this one and let's dive in. Mark, thank you very much for joining me on the podcast. Yeah, great to be here, Brody. Let's get people familiar with you. So um, introduce yourself and where you're from and in particular, what sort of exercise, what sort of athlete are you? Uh, so, uh, Mark from Minneapolis, Minnesota. I'm a 60 year, year old competitive masters runner. I've been running my whole life, started running in grade school, ran through junior high, high school, um, ran competitively in college, um, was very close to qualifying for the Olympic marathon trials in the, back in the 1980s. Um, so pretty, pretty high level runner, always put in, you know, lots of miles, um, as a younger man, never, almost never injured, even putting in 120 mile weeks. And, you know, obviously as I've gotten older now, I'm, you know, running up against these injuries, uh, PHT being one of the worst I've, I've experienced so far. Um, and I'm one of those guys that just, when I'm injured, I've learned that I, I hate swimming. I, I hate, you know, stuff in the gym, like the elliptical don't like being on the bike. So when I'm injured, I'm, you know, it's tough for me because I don't like the traditional cross training that, that runners do. So, um, so typically what I try to do is still try to run on the injury and maybe incorporate some walking, which in a lot of cases is just exacerbates the injury. So, so, you know, I've listened to a lot of your podcast, Brody, and the mental aspect of this is huge. And when you have, you know, a sport that you've loved your entire life from childhood all the way up to, you know, I'm 60 now. And that's your main sport. When that's taken away, the mental part is just tough. So, um, so yeah, through through the PhD, it's been it's been a struggle. Let's talk about the PhD. So, uh, how long ago did was the first onset of symptoms? Yeah, I, I, I've replayed that week in my mind a hundred <laughs> times. So it was <laughs> the end of April, twenty twenty three. I turned sixty on April fourteenth, so I'd done a really heavy winter to get ready to try to break some American 16 over records. I was in great shape. I ran my first national competition um, on April 30th. Um, and my goal in that race was basically to, to it was a 10K. My, go, my goal is to go easy in the front half, pick it up in the second half and just try to get on the podium. Um, and it was a hilly course. And I hadn't done any hills since the previous October because I was, I was struggling with a hip glute issue. Um, so I knew the hills were going to be tough. So I got through the race. I did podium, um, ran a solid time, uh, felt, felt great the whole way. Um, and at that time of year in Minnesota, things had just started to turn. The weather just started to turn nice. 
Um, so we literally went from 30 degrees Fahrenheit to 70 degrees Fahrenheit overnight. So that, that week after the race, it was, you know, no shirt, shoes, shorts, and just flying down the trail, having a great time and great weather. So the 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 next day after the race, that Monday, I ran way too fast. Should have done a recovery day. Um, Tuesday, same thing, ran way too fast. Um, and even though it felt great, it wasn't recovery pace. And then Wednesday, I did my typical, you know, five-minute pace workout. It's about 5K of work at five-minute pace. Um, so super hard workout. So that's after a race and two fairly hard days. Um, and then Thursday was the first day where I just didn't, you know, I was flying down the trail at seven minute pace, should have been doing 830 pace. And it just felt hard. And then Friday, 10 mile run at the eight mile mark, that's where I felt it. So it was basically five days of hard work. And so I felt this pain right in the sit bone. Um, I had two miles to go on the run, didn't think anything of it, never had felt that pain in my life. I've had many, many other injuries. So I didn't think it was anything serious because, I mean, I thought I'd have had every injury in the book. You know, it wasn't anything classic that I knew about. I had never heard of PHT in my life. So I get through this 10 mile run and I think I'm fine. And then Saturday is, is my long 10K of workout at about 5.30 pace. So I had slated six by a mile at 5.30 pace and did the first mile and the dang thing just hurt. And I'm thinking, this is more serious than I, than I, than I thought it was. Did the second mile repeat and it got worse. And then in the third mile repeat, I had to bail on the workout. And that's when I knew I had a, I had a problem. So it literally went from perfectly fine to a problem within within one day. Yep. And, you know, probably um, the subsequent days being a, a factor as well. Like it seems like this all sort of was just building up and then all of a sudden manifested itself in a very short period of time. And did there, you, you noticed pain at the sit bone area during running, was there any other symptoms outside of running that, you, that you know, started to become a problem? The, one of the weird things, and a couple of your other podcast um, members have, has, have said this, is that the initial, like when I got done with that Saturday work and was jogging around the track, the main thing that was stopping me wasn't the PHT, but it was the upper calf. So in conjunction with the, the PHT, my, my upper calf, and this is both on the left side, so that was a huge factor. So I, I was limping around with this upper calf injury um, that really slowed me down. And that was the first part of the injury I really had to work through to get back into some kind of running to see how the PHT was going to do, right? And, and so that was weird. And I noticed a couple of your other um, you know, people that you had on said the same thing, that there was mm. a calf as part of it too. So that yeah. was definitely part of my my symptoms. I had the calf issue. Um, so you know, I I kind of feel blessed because you know I, the onset was Friday Saturday, um, and then that Monday I went to see my sports chiropractor. You know, and I'm still thinking I'm going to be back running. You know, within a week, right? That just a couple of days off, I'll be fine, right? So so I limped through a, a ten mile run on Sunday, very very slow. Went to see my sports sports chiro. And he diagnosed it as PHT. So within literally two days of the injury, I got a diagnosis. And he's like, he told me, you're going to have to be patient with this thing. You shouldn't be running, shouldn't be working out. But he didn't feel like he had the expertise to co coach me and guide me into re you know, to rehab and what to do. So he, re he referred me to a local um, sports therapist to work with here in the States. But as soon as I got a diagnosis on Monday, I started doing my own, re own research. So I put a blast out on Strava and I said, Hey, has anybody ever heard of this PHT? You know, I got to know what this is. And I started doing some online searching and almost right away. Um, one of the, one of the guys that follows me on Strava said, Hey, I had this and you got to connect with this guy, Brody Sharp. He's got two podcasts. One is on, on this specific injury. Um, and he sent me the link and I'm, I'm like, I'd never heard of this injury. And, and I'm like, you got to be kidding me. There's this guy that does a podcast only on this injury. You got to be kidding me. So I, I hooked up with your podcast literally within three days of having the injury. And I just binged the heck out of it. 
I, I nonstop, like within probably three or four days, I had listened to like 70 episodes. <laughs> <laughs> so it was, um, it was extremely valuable to me because I, at, you know, initially I thought I'm going to keep running on this thing. It's not a problem. But then after I had met with my sports Cairo and I listened to your episodes, I realized I really had to treat this thing carefully or I would, I might be in for a two to year, two to three year journey on this. Yeah. So it really scared me to the point where I, I treated it seriously. One thing that's so um, different about your story, as opposed to a lot of the other stories is how quickly you've found the right information, got the right diagnosis, and then started acting upon it. And, you know, you say that um, it's probably, it would have been probably wise to not run speed session after speed session or run after run after run when you started developing these symptoms. And yes, there could have been some decisions that you've made in that week that would have really accelerated the the process. But the fact that you had a diagnosis in a couple of days and I hear almost on a daily basis, people reaching out saying, I wish I found your podcast sooner. I've had this one year, two year, three years, six months. Um, the fact that you had the diagnosis so quickly, found the podcast so quickly, started jumping on the right information, the right exercise so quickly is very, very rare and glad that it actually happened. Um, was there, when listening to the podcast, was there any major things that jumped out at you, like anything that you wanted to initially do to start your treatment process? The one thing that, uh, and I forget who this was, but the one thing that really struck me that was the episode where um, the gentleman was talking about doing his running and his racing. He was working with you, I think. And, you know, it took him, I don't know, a year to figure out that he, that he had it reversed. He was, he was running, he was racing, and he was doing the rehab for his PhD kind of on the side. And he said, if I were to go back and do this, I would have forgot about the running and racing and everything which would have been about PhD rehab. And that would have been my focus. And if I would have done that, I probably would have rehabbed like a year sooner. And I heard that and I'm like, I've got to take that to heart. My, my focus needs to be rehab first, running second. And that was probably the, the, one of the things on your podcast that really struck me and helped me to kind of change my mindset. Because as a competitive runner, you're like, I still have to have these races on my calendar. I still have to look at, you know, am I going to reach these goals? And it, and it causes you to train too hard and do too much and continue to aggravate the injury. So flipping that for me was huge. That really helped me a lot. Yeah. It's, it's a bit of a mindset shift because you need to sort of um, move away from your identity as a runner in some elements. And like you say, you're like, I've got races coming up. I've got goals that I need to hit. I want to keep running fast. I don't want to lose this fitness that I have. And like, you know, all of those emotions tend to boil up and people tend to continue aggravating this injury um, or they're forced to take time off. And then that tension, that rubber band just gets tighter and tighter. The more and more days they go off running. And then as soon as they feel a little bit better, they're like, yes, I'm back. And they get back into running too fast, too far. And then the boom bust cycle repeats itself. And so glad that you had that realization. You sort of flipped the script. I, I often um, refer back to, there's a book called Rebound by Carrie Cheadle. And she says that, okay, rehab is now your sport. You're not a runner, you're an athlete. Let's focus on shifting that identity around, I am a runner, make it, I am an athlete. And as an athlete, Rehab now is my sport. Rehab now is my primary sport and, you know, reprioritize things. So I'm glad that you sort of had that shift as well. Yeah. And that's exactly what it became for me, Brody. It became rehab as my, as my sport, as, mm. as the thing I was doing for, you know, virtually five months of yeah. my life. I, my focus was the rehab, not the, the running and racing. And when I ran, I considered that part of my rehab. It wasn't, yeah. it wasn't a run. It was part of my rehab. And, and you do a great job in your podcast of kind of, you know, coaching that where, where, you know, we're going to keep running in the routine, but, but keep it at that, you know, the pain level per, per, prescribed, make sure you're getting rebound within 24 hours and week over week improvement. And as long as you're doing that running is actually strengthening the tendon. But if you go, you know, out of that, you know, recovery zone into the, the relapse zone, 
then you're going to just continue to relapse. And so once I, I, you know, listening to you and having you coach me on this, this, it really helped me take running out of training and into, into kind of the rehab zone. So whenever I ran to me, it was like, okay, I'm rehabbing my tendon. I need to keep the pain level here to rehab it. And, you know, somewhere down the road, I'm going to, I'm going to get back into running. But it wasn't, yeah. wasn't, I didn't consider that training. I considered it rehab. One of the questions I had written down here was any mistakes that you did early on that may have contributed to an exacerbation of symptoms or, you know. Just quickly chiming in here to let you scholars know, I have just updated my five-day injury prevention challenge. This is one email per day for five days, learning new concepts and diving into the science on how you can reduce your risk of injury. The sign-up link is in the show notes, so fill in your details and I'll be waiting for you in email number one tomorrow. Prolonged symptoms, but obviously talking through your week of the PHT onset, um, it seems like, you know, going day after day after day after day maybe wasn't the wisest thing. Um, any other early mistakes that you may not have mentioned? Yeah, I mean, I made during that rehab process, even with your, you know, you, you prescribed like day by day what I, what I should be doing. And even with that, that competitive runner in me, I made so many mistakes. I'm mm. convinced it took me about five months, five to six months to get back into some relatively normal training. And I'm convinced had I not made those mistakes, I could have been back training in probably three months. But I mean, the onset was early May. And, you know, the mistake I made in May was I ran too much. You know, you had prescribed kind of, you know, run-walk program with very slow running. I ran too fast and I ran too much. So I figured that out. And then in June, you know, my, my club, there was a national mile race in June. And my club wanted me to come run so we could keep at our, you know, our top of the podium on the national list. So I'm like, oh, I can go run a mile at 520 pace, no problem. And it won't affect my PhD. This is six, six, week, six weeks in, Brody, right? <laughs> so I go to run this mile race. I'm like, I'm just going to do 520 pace. And the funny thing about that race was it was straight up a street. You make one turn and another turn. And you go straight back down the street. So I go straight. The gun goes off. I go straight up the street, about a quarter mile into it. I hit it about five-minute pace. It felt fine. As soon as I took that first left-hand turn, the PhD blew up just like that. So it just took a 190-degree turn to blow up the PhD and I lost the whole month of June because I went to run this mile race. I was mm. basically the whole month of June. I, I took a step back. So May, May too much running June. I, I ran a race. I shouldn't run. And then July, the big mistake I made, I think was I rehabbed too much. I focused on rehab and I was doing rehab. You gave me exercises that we split up amongst three days. I was doing all three days every day, six days a week. Yeah. And so I, I just, uh, you know, I, I wasn't in the recovery zone, you know? So, so May, June, July, I was kind of learning the ropes on how to rehab the PhD. And, and once I got the handle on it and once you and I started working together, well, you coached me in some, some form stuff in the gym, which helped tremendously. Um, and once I got that down, and realized I really had to pace that out. That's the when the recovery really started to accelerate. So, yeah. so those were the you know the mistakes I made early on and through the first three months of rehab. I think we should. So, just to recap for people, um, so we started working together, and I got a information about your history, about your running, about your your injury, and all those sorts of things. And you know, straight away, people, it doesn't take a genius to work out that you're a go getter. You know very passionate, very excited to, to dive into a lot of things and do so with a lot of enthusiasm. And so quickly realized those and needed, quickly realized that we need to pull the reins on you a little bit. Because if we give you a little bit of slack, you're going to take that as an opportunity to do more, do faster things, you know, do heavier things and go for it. So what what I did was sort of cap your pace. And I don't, you know, sometimes for people I'll say, oh, just run slow. Just make sure it's an easy jog. And that's all the information I'll give them. But for you, we had very clear instructions on pace to keep to or don't go any faster than this. And granted, that was like a really slow for something that you would consider. Um, and I just remember assigning the week and coming back on another chat and you'd be like, yeah, I know you assigned this, but this is what <laughs> I actually did. 
and it was a bit further, it was a bit faster and, you know, quickly learning through a, a few mistakes that, yes, injury is not really getting better, that, you know, maybe we should stick to the plan or maybe we should, you know, make these adjustments and those sorts of things. Would that be accurate to say? Oh, yeah, no, that's exactly right, Brody. And once, you know, so that was the first three months. And once I, I really started following a program and and did the prescribed paces and cut things back to the point where you had, you know, basically you put a whole Excel spreadsheet together with exactly what it was supposed to do every day. And once I started following that and also got the right form in the gym, then things really started to improve quickly. And one of the biggest things for me was was understanding the deadlift form and, and mm. doing that right. I think that took that literally took me three months to get that down. And I remember you and I were talking and I'm, I'm, I'm telling you, Brody, I'm doing the deadlifts and I don't feel it in the tendon, you know? And he's like, you're like, send me the, your form, you know? And, and so we worked back and forth on the form. And once I got it, I got to the point where that was the best exercise in the gym for hitting the tendon. You, I could really feel the tendon when I did that, that deep squat on the deadlift. But it took me three, I'd never done a deadlift in my life, right? It took me three months to figure that out. Once I figured that out, there were two exercises in the gym that really started to help accelerate recovery. And that was one of them. For the listeners, let's go through what was it about the deadlift that you think you were doing wrong to start with and what what changed, what, what sort of cueing did you use or what were you thinking about or how were you moving differently that made it so effective? Yeah, I think it was too much back initially. I was bending forward too much and not sitting back, sitting and squatting enough. And once I, I learned to keep the back straight and kind of squat and sit back, that, that really helped because it's that sitting that really starts to compress the tendon as you go down. And I got to the point where I didn't need much weight to, to really hit the tendon and start bringing the pain level up. Um, one of the things I learned in the, in my, um, you know, in the gym is I could handle higher pain levels in the gym. I could get up to a five or six on a deadlift and within an hour, the pain would be, would be gone. Mm. Whereas if I was out on a run and I got up to a four on a run, 24 hours later, I'd still have pain. So I had to really be careful on the run part, but in the gym, I could really stress the tendon and it would be fine within an hour. So I, so I really pushed it in the gym and deadlift was one of the ways I did that. Yeah. Some people, you know, like to adopt a, a stiff legged deadlift, which would be similar to what you were doing previously, which is like, yeah, hinging a lot at the back and not really sitting back and pretending like you're going to sit into the back of a chair as you, as you deadlift forward. And a few things with that one, like you say, it probably doesn't stretch the upper tendon or like provoke the upper tendon too much with that, that first initial technique. But the other thing that I've found is that if people try to do a straight legged deadlift, they, some people can do it, but once you start progressing the weights, you can't really do it that heavy. Um, once you have a bit more knee bend, you sit back a little bit more, your weight is balanced a little bit more. You can progress up to, you know, 70, 80, 90 pounds, 100 pounds. You can start doing that at, at a really, you know, you're more balanced in a more compact position. Whereas if you're trying to dip forward like a, a drinking bird and try to also hold on to weight, the it's very, very hard to do that. And as we know on the podcast, slow, heavy, progressive load is always the, the top of mind in you. You limit yourself and you restrict yourself way too much if you try to attempt that straight-legged deadlift. So glad we've had some. Um, glad we made that correction. You saw that benefit, and you in particular, uh, because we were clearly dealing with a painful yet strong tendon. Like you had a really high capacity. You hadn't had a year of that pain, rest, weakness, downward spiral because you were injured only just six weeks prior and you were running really fast, really far and doing all that sort of stuff. So you were strong, which is probably why you found yourself could get away with a lot more in the gym. You could load it up and yes, it'd be painful, but you would return back to baseline relatively quickly um, only because you had that foundation strength there and probably why you responded so well. Was there any other exercises that you think might have been beneficial aside from the deadlift? 
Yeah, there was one other. Just just one other note on the deadlift, and you you helped me work on this. Was you know as a sixty year old athlete, this mainly mainly a runner and not a gym rat. One of the things I I, I learned quickly was that there were other parts of my body that had to be strengthened in order to be able to to build the weight on the deadlift and the back was a big part of that um so i had complained to you that i was having back pain and you gave me a back extension exercise to do and that was miraculous i literally i think i i, I whatsapped you the next day after you gave me the first session and my back pain was 90 percent improved after one session it was like a, a, a miracle you know <laughs> exercise i couldn't believe it so so you know, as a six-year-old, just building up the infrastructure around the the body so I could do the deadlifts at the weights I needed to strike the tendon was a big deal. So that's why it really took me some time to build that deadlift up to a point where it could impact the tendon because I had to build up my back. I had to build up my glutes. I had to build up my abs. You know, all those things that maybe a, you know, a 30-year-old or a 20-year-old doesn't have to do. So there was a lot involved in getting, getting that deadlift right. The other one that really hit the tendon was, um, and, and um, I'm going to call it like a, a kickback where you basically have a uh, kind of semi-straight leg and you're on a kind of a nautical, you know, a weight attached to a wire and you're kicking that backwards behind you. Um, and, and that really targeted the tendon well. And I don't know if you have a, you know, an official name for that Brody, but. There isn't really like. I call it standing hip extension because you're standing and you extend your hip backwards and you do so under resistance. So there's no fun name for it, like a crab walk or like a scooter or something like that. But yeah, standing hip extension, if people want to Google that, that's the exercise that will pop up. Okay. Yeah. So so actually we had, I don't know, half a dozen exercises that that you had prescribed um, and those two hit the tendon so well that today now as maintenance work i'm only doing those two exercises um and it seems to be working really well to to maintain the strength of the tendon at some cool. point i think probably what i'm going to do i'm i'm kind of at the racing cycle end of my season i've got a race tomorrow and then two more weeks of racing and then i'm going to back off for the winter and in the winter i think i'm going to cycle back add in those other exercises and focus on the strength of the tendon through the winter so I can come off the winter and, and have a healthy spring. Um, so, so I think I will have to add those back in, but right now I'm doing 75 miles a week and I wanted to back off on the, on the weights to get the mileage up and, and having those two exercises in seemed to have, seems to have worked really well, but I do, there's still pain there. It's not hundred percent. I would say the tendon is probably maybe 85, 90%. And I wouldn't want to race beyond, you know, these three races without going back and circling back and strengthening the tendon. So, um, so December 9th, um, 2023 is going to be my last race. It's kind of the Super Bowl of racing. All the top runners go, I'm going to run that race and then cut it off for the year and, and focus on the tendon for three months. Yep. Okay. Anything else that you found positive in your rehab? It might've been in the running, might've been strength training, might've been outside of all those things. Anything else that you found helpful for your recovery? Yeah, there, there's, there's, and, and we'll get into this maybe when we talk about um, things, you know, things that I learned. But um, one of the biggest things to me was keeping the same routine. Um, you're injured, and, and you know, I was running ten miles a day before we connected, Brody. Um, it would take me 75, 80 minutes to run that 10 miles a day. And I, I have a whole routine around that. It's, you know, getting ready for the run is eating the right things. It's, it's cooling down properly. It's getting the right, you know, electrolyte drink afterwards, sleeping right, proper nutrition, all that stuff, you know, when you're injured tends to go away. So one of the things that I did in, in, in this injury was I kept the same routine. I, I mean, I wasn't running the 75 minutes, but I was, I was jog walking the 75 minutes and I kept the same warm up routine. I kept the same cool down routine. I had the same electrolyte light drink when I, when I was done, I slept the same amount. I kept the same routine as if I was running my 10 miles a day. And that really helped me maintain just the mental health of being an athlete and being a runner. Um, so I would highly recommend anybody. I mean, you maybe it's biking for you. Maybe it's swimming. Maybe it's, you know, whatever that is for you, but do that same block of time and don't change anything. 
you know, don't change your sleep, don't change your nutrition. Because in the past, what I would do is if I was injured, I'd be like, oh, I don't have to eat right. I'm not running. You know, I don't have to sleep right. You know, so and that just causes a mental spiral. So this time I did it differently and it worked out really well. Yeah. Often talk about the pain, rest, weakness, downward spiral, which is very much like physical attributes, like, you know, physically weakening. But there's something to be said for I should come up with some sort of spiral that's on the mental side of things, because one thing I was going to mention is just coming across and like having chats with you, you seem very energetic, but overly positive at the same time. Like you would even making very, very small improvements. You'd just be over the moon and you would, you know, ready for the next thing. And that you just saying that really highlights the, the approach that you take, trying to keep as, still keep your head in the game, still keep positive, still keep that same routine, still treat yourself like an athlete, still do the same positive mental elements um, because people can easily say, oh, damn, I'm injured. No one likes being in pain. Very, very easily to think negative thoughts, have negative outlooks, Um, you know, pessimism in general, just when you're in pain, people just naturally do that. But they stay in bed longer. They eat worse foods. They don't drink like like water like they used to. Their nutrition suffers. You know their stress is negatively impacted, and that has such a handbrake on your recovery. There's so many elements, so many different avenues that um, control how quickly you can return back to and how fast that tendon can heal. And if your mental and everything outside of that is being negatively influenced it's just putting a, a handbrake on your recovery so glad that you mentioned that yeah and may, maybe i mean it took me five months to, to recover five six months to get back to relatively normal training and and maybe that i actually felt blessed through the whole process and, and part of the reasons I, I i felt like that was just listening to the journeys of all of your you know, the podcasts that the people you've had on your podcast and some of them have had it for two years and three years and 10 years and misdiagnosed 10 times. And, and, and it's been, you know, such a long journey for, for these people. And I just feel blessed that I I had it diagnosed right away. I got on it right away. And I just always felt like I was on the right path to recovery and that the recovery, I mean, I'd always thought it was going to be next month, right? But it was next month, the next month, the next month. But but five to six months for this injury is is just, I mean, I, I just feel blessed that it took such small small amount of time and I got on it right away. I got to the right people right away because, you know, if you don't, if you get misdiagnosed or, or you know, you, you haven't been able to treat it for a year, then it's going to be a little bit of a longer journey, you know? So yeah. I had the I had the positive attitude the whole way. I just felt like I was on the right track and and we were doing the right things. Yeah. Anything any elements in your recovery that you didn't think was helpful or you think was a waste of time or detrimental and you know it could be some of the exercises I assigned or some of the advice I offered um oh you know my feelings won't be hurt but anything you can think of. <laughs> yeah, I think the main thing was just my desire to move the rehab faster than my body was ready. Um you know, I, I ran too much in the first month. I rehabbed too much in the second month. Uh, that created setbacks. Um, I ran a race six weeks into it that created set, setbacks. So, so it was just trying to move it along too quickly. I mean, the the, the and this is you know, pervasive across all your podcast episodes, and I'll repeat it. You just have to be super patient with this injury. You know, if you think it's going to take a week, it's going to take four. You know, if you think it's going to take a month, it's going to take four months. It just takes time to, to you know, for this injury to come along. And, and, and one of the things that, that actually I did in my, you know, in my recovery is the recovery is so incremental that, you know, you, you, sometimes you don't feel like you're making progress. So Strava really helped me keep a journal of where I was a month ago, where I was two months ago. Because if you're looking at week by week, it's so slow that you just sometimes look back and say, ha, I'm not recovering, right? So I started to do, instead of one week increments, I would do two week increments of, of kind of looking back. Where, where was I two weeks ago? So I did two, two week increments of where, where am I? And I, and I kept a journal through Strava of everything I did, how I felt, what the pain level was, what the pace, pace was. 
And doing that, you're able to look back and say, man, a month ago, I can only do nine minute pace, you know, and I was walk running the whole thing. Now I'm doing, you know, eight minute pace and, and I'm running, you know, and that really helped me see that there was progress there. So it's, mm-hmm. that, that's to me something that was, was a huge help. But the stuff that, that, I mean, the stuff that didn't work, I created that myself by just pushing it too hard. Well, that's what I was thinking. Like you, you mentioned jumping on a diagnosis quickly, jumping on the right rehab quickly, and then you say, yeah, but it still took five, six months to, you know, get to a, a state that I was happy with. And people might be thinking, damn, if he had such a, a quick reaction to doing the right things and it took him six months. But part of me thinks like how long would have taken if we didn't have a month of running too fast and we didn't have a month of, you know, rehabbing too, too much. And we followed at, we, we progressed at the rate of what your body was telling you. We should progress listening to your body to see how much running was acceptable, how much speed was acceptable, how much rehab was acceptable. If we did that from the get go, part of me thinks of how quick that process may have been because it's not just as simple as, okay, we did, we overloaded things for the first two months. Let's start from a clean slate and then see how things go. And, you know, maybe it would have been two months quicker. I think it would have been even quicker than that because not only are we dealing with two months of mistakes and setbacks, but that is compiling two months of irritation, like that takes longer to settle down because the longer you've had the injury for, generally speaking, the longer it takes to get rid of. So maybe there was some sort of, um, compounding effect and it might even been sooner if we would have jumped on and done the right things earlier i totally agree with you brody i mean i don't i i mean the way i look at it is i had onset in early may but i didn't start rehabbing this thing until late july Mm. Uh, i mean i I didn't even know how to do a proper deadlift right so now that's one of the main things that was you know to help my rehab so i I think we could have rehabbed this thing inside of three months had i done everything properly but, yeah. you know, I mean, you know, live and learn and, uh, um, here we are, but I feel, I mean, I feel great that I'm here and, you know, at the end of my season, able to, to get out and do the races I want. So I'm happy with the way it went, but yeah, had I, if I were to go back and do it again, I think we could have done it a lot. I could have done it a lot better and probably been out there, you know, in August, September and, yeah. good, but yeah. Like you said, you've still got some symptoms. You're probably at 85, 90% recovery. You're running races um i have the question of like what you're able to return back to like in do you feel like you have any restrictions in terms of the amount of speed or distance that you want to cover i don't think so i haven't fully tested it yet i'm i'm running i haven't um had i haven't had to do anything different with my workouts than i would normally do this time of year um I think I'm in probably 90% of the shape I was in before I got the injury. Um, but, you know, it's cross-country season. You need, need more strength than speed. Um, so I've been working mainly on strength. Um, the two things I really haven't worked into my program in, in, a, in an intensive way yet are hills and um, the five-minute pace workouts that I was doing back before I got injured. Um, I'm doing plenty of 520, 530 pace workouts. I'm, I'm doing hills at a training pace, but no hills at a workout pace. Um, and I just didn't feel the tendon was ready for that yet. Um, and I, I don't need it for the races I'm running. So I, I've been able to do, I mean, the entire training program that I outlined for myself in the fall, I've been able to do the entire thing without, without compromising any of it. Um, once I get into winter and I strengthen the tendon even more, I'll work hills in and some of the faster paced stuff in in the spring. But um, but yeah, it's it's uh, I'm basically back to you know where I would what would want to be this time of year. Excellent. One thing I want to uh, touch base on is the calf. You said that initially your onset of symptoms were, or mainly what stopped you running was calf symptoms. How did that play out as the rehab went on? That was fairly short-lived that probably lasted two weeks um so so it it, it was pretty tender for two weeks um um i have a massage therapist that worked on it that that and and i know some of that is controversial whether that helps but it it seemed to have helped the upper calf um to loosen up that muscle and and get that corrected so that was that was literally a two maybe three week thing um and then it was just on to the the more critical injury of the phd yeah um 
but I did, did think that was interesting that there were, you know, several people besides me that had that same, you know, co- coinciding symptom. Yeah. So. And I have had people develop PHT and then develop an Achilles tendinopathy afterwards mm-hmm. and same, same complex, same calf Achilles complex. Um, will I, will I say that I know what's exactly the mechanism of what's going on? I'm not going to say that because there could be a number of things. It could be some like nerve irritation that travels further down the leg. Maybe it's like pushing yourself too much. Maybe when you are doing, maybe there would have been like a hypothetically, if you were doing all those sprint sessions and even though the symptoms in the tendon, in the hamstring tendon weren't manifesting as pain just yet, maybe there was some lack of force production around the glute hamstring area, which meant the calf had to pick up some slack and I, very, very hard to say, um, and it's almost impossible to know for sure. But um, I just thought I'd put it out there because you did mention that earlier. And if someone's going through a similar thing, I thought I'd just let them know that I don't know exactly what's going on. And that, um, yeah, if. Yeah, the- I think there there is a lot to be said about compensation when you're, you know, you, you when you have an injury and you have pain, you you think you're running your normal stride, but you're you're still compensating for that pain. And that mm. puts extra stress on other parts of the body. Um, so it may have been a huge factor in the calf, you know, being an issue. One of the other things I'll, I'll mention was, uh, you have a lot of podcasts on, um, increasing stride frequency, shortening your stride and increasing turnover. And with the PhD that helps tremendously if you have that short, high turnover stride. So throughout that five month journey, I've developed this, you know, kind of short, high turnover stride that I've never had in my toolkit before that I don't use during races, but I've used it plenty of times on my training runs because it just reduces the pain and reduces injury risk. So I'll be on a training run now. I mean, my, my stride turnover was 165, 170. Now, now I can do 200 and still hit the same pace and really have, it just feels better. It feels I feel lighter on my feet. It feels like the PHT tendon isn't stressed. So one of the things this has done for me is just added this new stride to my toolkit that I can kick in anytime I want if I want to reduce stress on my body, you know. So that's been huge. Glad to hear. And probably something that, you know, runners with PhD can to, can try out. Um, I'm glad that you said that you've tried that and it feels really good for you. It feels good for the tendon, feels good for your efficiency, feels good for your, um, you know, just running form in general and you know, maybe someone hears that and tries that out, tries bumping up their cadence and seeing if that has the same effect. So thanks for sharing that. Um, yeah, no, it's, for, it's worth trying. And you had a couple of tips about maybe putting on some music with the same beat that you're trying to emulate with your stride. And that, that worked for me. I had my, right. my earbuds in and I had the beat going and, and that really helped me learn that new that new, new turnover and that new stride. So, so yeah, no, it's just another tip that I learned during the journey. Excellent. Well, as we sort of wrap this up, is there any other final bits of advice, um, tips, tricks, you know, reminders that you might have for people who are struggling with PHT? To me, the, the first and foremost thing that, that, that helped me was getting professional help. Um, you know, initially I, I got on your, your podcast within days. Um, it's a great place to start. Um, you know, if, if you if you end up with this injury, look for the best there is out there. Um, there's a lot of, you know, kind of Facebook, Strava, non-scientific rhetoric out there that you have to weed through to get to the real scientific, factual ways to rehab the tendon. And so initially, I you know, I weeded through some of that stuff. I mean, you and I talked about this, Brody. There's, there's you know, a guy in my club that claimed, you know, claims PRP helped cure his, his symptoms and he has no scientific data. There's no scientific data to support that. Um, there, you know, there's other wacky therapies out there that don't work. So get professional help, do your homework, study it and find somebody that knows what they're talking about to help you. Um, and for me finding you Brody and having, you know, somebody who's dealt with this for decades and had, you know, thousands of PhD cases was huge because I, you know, I'd never heard of it. I, you know, the guys around here didn't know how to rehab it. And for me, I mean, my goals were to break some American 16 over American records and I wanted the best 
rehab advice. So, to, you know, that, that to me is the biggest thing. Find somebody that you can go to that has scientific-based, you know, information that can help you, gu- help guide you through it. Um, I think another thing is, you know, we talked about this earlier, treat the injury first and foremost. Take all the races off your race schedule. Um, if you have a race schedule for the year, just eliminate it. The focus should be on the rehab. Um, the, I mean, the more pressure you put on yourself to make a race or to get to a race, the worse it's going to be. You got to be patient with this and the focus should be on just rehabbing the tendon. Um, so that was a huge thing for me when I took all the races off my schedule and just focused on the rehab instead of the racing. That's when things really started to improve. Um, be super patient. To me, patience was tough. Um, and there's a lot of ups and downs. I mean, there were days where I thought, oh, the thing's, the thing's fixed. I'm, it's solved. I've got no pain. And there were days where, you know, the next day it would be, you know, a six pain trying to run. <laughs> um, so it, it's don't get caught up in the ups and downs. It's a, a long journey. Don't get too excited over the good days. Don't get too depressed over the bad days. You know, just just keep it keep at the rehab and look at week over week improvement and it will improve. Um, let's see what else. Uh, we talked about keeping the same routine. That was huge for me. You know, don't don't change your routine. Um, keep the same nutrition, keep the same, you know, the same amount of, of work you're doing. If you were running for an hour, then bike for an hour. One of the things that really helped me was surrounding myself with just super positive people that were supportive, uh, people like you Brody to help me through this. Um, I've got a whole community here that was just really positive about supporting my recovery. And I think that's huge for, for recovery and for mental health. Um, that, that really helped me just keep, keep positive and keep the people around me that were positive. Um, keeping a journal was huge. I mean, I did it through Strava, but if you do it through a notebook or whatever, just a way to look back and see your improvement. I mean, when I look back at what I was doing five months ago, I, I can't believe it. <laughs> you know, I mean, I, I was like running 10 minute pace, walking and running, five months ago. And now I'm, you know, I could go out there and run 530 pace. So the journal is important because, because the week on week improvement can be so slow that being able to look back is, you know, is important. Um, one of the things that worked for me on the, on the journey was staying on soft, flat, straight trails. Um, no hills, no pavement, minimize the turns. Um, I learned in that mile race that all it took is one 90 degree turn to blow the thing up. Um, so I've got some great trails by me that are groomed, that are flat, and I would just do out and backs on soft, flat, tra- straight trails. Um, and that helped me tremendously. One of the things I did a little bit different um, during, the, during the learning process is, is I learned that the, um, the pain level in the run for me had to be a one or a two. If, if I tried to if I did a three or four pain level on the run, I wouldn't get that week over week improvement that we talked about. And I don't know if it's because I have a high pain tolerance or I'm just fooling myself that it was, you know, it was a three and it was really a six, but I, I had to take the three or four off the table and I had to, on the run part, it had to be a one or a two. And, and, and once I did that, then things really started to improve. So I had to be super careful on the pain level on the run. And, and this may sound weird, but I mean, intuitively, I could tell if I was in the recovery zone and the, the, the rehab zone when I was running or if I was in the relapse zone. I just I don't know why, but I could just tell and I just ignored it. So I'd be out there running with a pain level of four, knowing that wasn't a healthy pain and saying, oh, Brody said I could go to a four. I'm going to a four. Right. But but once I started listening to that voice that said, this isn't healthy pain, um, and backed off to a one or a two that really helped me. So, you know, listen to that inner voice. If it's telling you it's too much, it, it probably is. One thing I wanted to mention as well is, um, your deadlifts, how heavy, how many, how many sets and reps are you doing at the moment? Yeah. On, on the deadlifts, um, I didn't have to get too heavy to get the results. So right now I'm at 70 pounds 
and I do three sets of 10 reps. All right. Good to know. It's, it's a good reference point for a lot of people to, um, to hear. And I think a big overarching uh, theme benefit that's really helped you is, okay, finding that adaptation zone. What does that look like in your running, whether that be speed, whether that be volume, what does that look like in your strength training or cross training? Um, finding what that zone is and training within that and then progressing that adaptation zone at the rate that your body is going to allow. And there was a lot of trial and error in the early days. There was a lot of lessons to learn in those early days. But like you said, things really started kicking up a notch and things started really progressing quite quickly once we found that adaptation zone. We found out, okay, what speed can you tolerate? What days? There were some slow days, slow running days with some slightly faster running days and that balance tended to work out well symptom-wise. The deadlift action, um, trying to stimulate that right area and then progressing that at a rate that your body would allow. Once all those things kind of clicked into place, um, things magic started happening quite quickly and the journey or the goals that you had were far superior to a lot of other athletes. Um, you know, you've got really strong pace goals, high mileage races, you know, big ambitious goals, all that sort of stuff, which is really exciting. Just means our, our reference point is so much higher and the rehab would take longer with it being such a, such big goals. But I think that's a very overarching theme and i think a lot of people no matter how severe their pht is no matter how long they've had it for no matter what their goals are i think retreating back to okay what can i tolerate how much can i tolerate almost doing as much as you possibly can tolerate and then moving and progressing at the rate that your body will allow and it's all about trial and error tuning in listening to your body accurately interpreting symptoms i think that this success story really encapsulates that quite well. Um, anything else before we wrap up? Yeah, I, I would just say that that's exactly right, Brody. Once I learned to stay within the adaptation zone and not step outside that, that's when that's when things really started to accelerate. And it just took me a while to, to you know, with your help, rein that in and also learn where that adaptation zone was. But that was the key. I would sum, up, sum it up as, you know, staying within the adaptation zone. And, and that was really, that was really when things kicked off. Excellent. Well, good luck with your upcoming races. Good luck with your, um, rehab that still continues to this day. And thanks for coming on and sharing your story. It's going to help a lot of people. Yeah. Thanks Brody. I appreciate it. Hey, thanks for sharing your expertise with me. And you know, the work you're doing is definitely, um, out there because I was able to find you with a within a few days of getting injured. So you're doing some great work, man. You're very welcome. If you are struggling to overcome an injury, you can jump on a free 20 minute injury chat with me, which you can book through my calendar in the show notes. While you're in the show notes, elevate your running IQ by jumping onto my free email list so you can receive material to help rehab your injury, lower your injury risk and increase your performance. If emails aren't for you, consider my Facebook group, Instagram, and YouTube channels. And remember, each insight you get from these resources brings you one step closer to your next running breakthrough.